Hi, I'm Tanya Tomaszewska, host of the TT Wine Explorer podcast. This podcast is about my adventures in the deep and wide world of wine. It's a discussion through my lens as an everyday wine enthusiast turned cork dork and reformed banking lawyer turned wine industry professional. For this first episode of the TT Wine Explorer podcast, I've already decided to go a little off-piste by following my own advice, which I give to others. When clients, contacts, and friends ask me the best way to learn more about wine, I usually reply, always be tasting and keep trying something different. So today, we're going to do just that, and something completely different for me. It's something I've never really tried before. We're going to Las Vegas. And for this virtual trip, I can't think of a better guy than foodie expert and Vegas geek Graham McLennan. Among many other things, my friend Graham is a practicing lawyer, a chef, and the host of his own podcast, Cheftimony. Although we were both living in Vancouver, British Columbia at the time, I first met Graham virtually in early 2020, when we were all in pandemic lockdown mode. Graham contacted me to ask if I'd like to be a guest on his podcast, Cheftimony. I'd never been on a podcast before, and to be honest, I hadn't been listening to many at the time, so I was pretty nervous about it. But as you'll see and hear, Graham is very easy to chat with and a fantastic interviewer and raconteur. So things really took off from there, both in terms of my involvement in more podcasts, and more importantly, the start of a new friendship with Graham as a fellow lawyer, wine and food traveler, and kindred spirit. As a chef, master of detail, and really down-to-earth repeat visitor to Vegas, I trust Graham implicitly with any recommendations which he has for us to explore that town. I hope that you enjoy my discussion with Graham McLennan today about Sin City. Let's fly. Hey, Graham, it's great to connect again. I feel in many ways that I've come around full circle here. I had my first podcast experience as a guest on your Cheftimony podcast about three years ago now. And here we are in the first episode of my own new podcast, Tables of Swapped Council. Thanks so much for joining me as my guest today. Of course. Thank you for having me, Tanya. This is so much fun. You have been a repeat guest, um, which delights me on Chef Timoni. Thank you for that. And I couldn't be happier to be your first guest. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. So, Graham, you and I have chatted a lot about our respective paths as lawyers who are running with our passions around food and wine exploring. You're still a practicing lawyer here in British Columbia. You're also a foodie, a chef, and a host and creator of your own podcast, Cheftimony. By the way, I really love that name. It really illustrates the fusion or hybrid of connecting lawyers and cooks and chefs. Um, For those who don't know you, can you share a little bit about how your Cheftimony podcast all came about? And why do you know so much about food? (laughs) Sure, I would be happy to. So it starts years ago uh, in private practice. I was a private practice lawyer, and you know what that is like. It's super busy, intense. The hours can be quite demanding. And there came a point where I made a change in my career. So I left private practice, and I went into sort of an in-house administrative gig. And Uh, Still in the practice of law, still busy, but it did give me more time to explore my passions. And so I used that opportunity to start cooking more. I'd always loved cooking and done a lot of it, uh, but I had more time now. So I started getting books out of the library. I did some 
uh, cooking schools have these serious amateur classes, they call them, where you can learn to cook whatever it might be, uh, Mediterranean food. They'll do a Mediterranean night. Uh, they might do a how to how to make sushi night. So I did a couple of these classes and I enjoyed them. But what I realized was that if I was going to get any better, I needed just rote repetition with tasks in the kitchen <laughs> to try to, you know, you don't you don't de- develop knife skills. You don't develop any skill without without doing it a lot. And so I actually approached a chef in Vancouver. I, I wrote her a letter. It was long enough ago that I <laughs> that I wrote a letter. And this was Andrea Carlson, who at the time, she's a very well-known chef in Vancouver now, was then too. But at the time, she was working as the executive chef at uh, Bishop's Restaurant, this mm-hmm. you know iconic Vancouver restaurant. And I knew they had great relationships with suppliers and that they created amazing food. So I wrote to Andrea and said, look, here's what I'm thinking. I just want to learn. Is there any way I could come to your kitchen and volunteer and just do what I can and try to contribute? So Andrew responded, which amazed me uh, that she, that she took the time to respond to my letter at all, but she very kindly did. I went in for an interview, which seemed a little uh, both scary and a little bit odd because I didn't know anything. So I wasn't sure what I was going to be able to answer in an interview, but ultimately Andrea did let me come into her kitchen uh, on a volunteer basis, I went in one night and did very humble things. I peeled vegetables, I chopped what needed chopping, but loved it. Loved being in the mix of professional cooks and and seeing how Andrea created dishes. And so I went back. I said, "Look, I've I've really enjoyed this. Can I come back?" And I did. And and it turned into a regular gig where Thursday nights I would leave the office and I would change out of my suit and I would get to Bishop's and I'd put on a chef's jacket and I would join the team and cook uh, cook with them. So that was a fantastic experience. I got to do that at um, a couple of other restaurants, uh, which were in the same physical space, Fuel and Refuel, mm-hmm. which you may remember back in the day, mm-hmm. Robert uh, Belcham's two of his restaurants. And I loved it so much. And I was so uh, smitten with this idea of approaching professional chefs and seeing if they would let me into their kitchens and, and and I subsequently learned that this is quite common within the culinary industry, not for outsiders like me, but but for other cooks. If they're traveling, it's quite uh, common for them to reach out to chefs in in restaurants in different cities and or different countries and say, "Look, can I do what they call a stage, which is just the French term for this sort of um, internship?" So cooks all over the place. It's very common for them to cook on a volunteer basis at other restaurants just to learn about different cuisines and different techniques. So I thought, because I love Vegas so much, I wonder if this could work there. And so I reached out to some restaurants and it did. So I I did a couple of stints at uh, Picasso Restaurant and the Bellagio and many more at Bouchon in the Venetian and had great experiences there. And then ultimately, I chose to step away from the world of law entirely for a couple of years and I worked professionally in that industry. So I was able to cook. By this time, Andrea had opened her own restaurant in Vancouver called Burdock & Co., and so I cooked there as a staff member for a period of time and and a few other places. And I absolutely loved that experience uh, and those years in my life. But in, let's see, 2017, I decided to come back to the practice of law and I've been back since. So I am now very much back in the world of offices and and legal practice, which is great in many, many ways. But I was missing the culinary world so much. I thought, how can I stay connected to it, keep in touch with people and 
keep up with what's happening in this industry. So really, that's why I created Cheftimony. It's, it was a selfish pursuit so I could have an excuse to talk to chefs. <laughs> and, uh, and that's what I've done. There are a lot of similarities there with when you're chatting with wine exploring and wine experience. One, when you're talking about stages, you know, similarly in the wine world, uh, people will travel to different wine regions to get different hands-on experience in wineries during harvest, for example, uh, in their own country and abroad. And that really is for le- contribution and learning. Um, and I think the other thing is connection, staying connected, um, and wine and food connect people, you know, the breaking of the bread. And if you're not physically present with the production or making or the design of the art of that wine or food, there's still that passion. There's still that hook of wanting the connection. And I, and I think that you and I may still have that. We just, we're, (laughs) we're coming through it in different ways. So, um, yeah, really, really fascinating. So you mentioned Las Vegas. I, you know, I didn't realize that your your early stages took you back there. I know that you are definitely a Vegas uh, geek in your own, you know, using your own words. Yeah, and I was listening to back to some of your um, recent Chef Demoni podcast because I know you've gone recently back to Vegas. So, you know, I thought I thought that we could chat about that today. You you know, there's a lot to talk about, but just to hone it in on in one topic if we can. You know, I've only been to Las Vegas once and it literally I passed through for one evening en route to somewhere else. I know that sounds crazy. You'd probably be mortified to hear that. But um, <laughs> um <laughs> you know, I hate to admit it, but it's true. Um so I really don't know much about Las Vegas other than, you know, how the history of the city started as a gambling haven with Bugsy, you know, from the movies or, you know, various shows of the strip or what I see on CSI and things like that. Um, you know, so what I'd love to do is go to Vegas with you today and learn a little bit about the food and the wine seed going on there. You seem to really know about that too town, um, at least from a food scene perspective, but I expect a lot more. Um, so maybe just to start off, can you tell us when you first started going to Vegas? I mean, it sounds like it was your stage um, or maybe before. And aside from your experiences in that kitchen the first time, you know, what other impressions did you have? You know, what's been taking you back? Yeah. You know, I went under really interesting circumstances. It was uh, the year 2000 was my first trip to Las Vegas. And I had just gone through a very, uh, you know, emotionally tough breakup. And a buddy of mine who uh, I grew up with, uh, he lives in Toronto now and did at the time. And he was going to Las Vegas on a double stag with, I don't know, 23 guys or something. (laughs) And he thought... This is just the thing for Graham, who's sort of <laughs> down in the dumps and not feeling great oh, after this breakup. Dear. So he's one of my very best friends and still is. And uh, he actually bought me a ticket to Las Vegas. Um, I had just graduated from law school. I was, I think, in my first year of practice. I had no money. And so my friend very kindly bought me a ticket to Las Vegas. And I flew down and joined this group of 20-odd guys Um on a double stag in Las Vegas. So it was absolutely overwhelming in every way. Las Vegas itself, for people who have not seen it, it does live up to its reputation in that way. It is absolutely overstimulating. It is overwhelming. I particularly remember from that trip, I'm, I'm not a slots player at all. I never have been. Um, but the slot machines, just the constant clang, 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 and the lights flashing from these slot machines, that those images really stand out to me. It's just over the top and gaudy and crazy. But we did have among, 
you know, uh, more humble culinary experiences. We did go to Spago at the time, Wolfgang Puck's restaurant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this was, this was iconic, too, very iconic, yeah, iconic restaurant. And it is still in Las Vegas at the time. It was in the forum shops in Caesars. It was one of the very first uh, celebrity outposts in Las Vegas to open. Vegas has this really interesting trick of opening copycat versions of famous restaurants. So Spago exists mm-hmm. in California. Spago exists in Las Vegas. Uh, Bouchon Bistro is in uh, Napa or in Yonville in California. And there's a Bouchon Bistro in right. Vegas. So um, so we went to Spago and the food was mind-blowing. The experience, uh, the service was unbelievable. The whole experience was unlike anything I'd ever had before. So from a culinary perspective, that first trip and that mm. trip to Spago, that really stands out to me as, as making me want to go back. Um, and I, I have done many times and it's, mm-hmm. it's only continued to grow on me. And so from that time, and you've gone back several times, have you seen an evolution or what sorts of evolutions have you observed both in the food scene, for example, and, um, or otherwise, um, you know, we'll dive in a little bit more detail about some of your favorite spots, but from an overarching from helicopter view, you know, since that time, how is it different when you went back, you know, this year, what are, what are your impressions now? Yeah, I would say Vegas, well, like so many places, I suppose, but Vegas really does. Um, a, f- a friend of mine who lives there said, uh, said Las Vegas, we're like a shark. We just keep moving forward. Right? They, they are very much about whatever is next. And we are going to implode what happened yesterday to make room for what's coming tomorrow. So it's constant change there. So mm-hmm. I would say it's evolved in a few ways. It's just plain bigger. That's one big mm-hmm. difference. It is much more corporate now, even in 2000. It was corporate then, um, but it was much less so than it is now. It's much more so in, in 2023. If you haven't, and, and and I've got a whole list of Las Vegas movies you should watch, of course, but if you haven't seen uh, Casino, which is a 1995 right. movie. Yes, classic. Yeah, great movie. Martin Scorsese directs it, and Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci star in it. That movie, I think, is good in so many ways, but one of the ways it's great is that it it really showcases this evolution in Las Vegas from the mob days to the corporate days. Mm -hmm. So it's worth a look from that point of view. Um, On the food side, I would say that there has been a huge rise in the celebrity chef culture. So Gordon Ramsay has a bunch of restaurants there. Giada is there, Bobby Flay, Morimoto, many more. Anyway, I'd say that the, 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 um, the, the celebrity chef culture is a, is a huge change from 2000 um, and a massive evolution. I would also say that the hole in the wall restaurant scene is growing as well, and it is great. And then the the last sort of change evolution that I I'll comment on now is um, is social media, the obvious one, right? right. So so right. now it it is a huge change for better or for worse, often for worse, but. But on the good side, it can bring some good insights on places um, that you wouldn't otherwise find. And I think it's wonderful for these hole-in-the-wall spots that you can, you can track down much more easily now than you could before. So it sounds like, you know, on one hand, there's the shark moving forward and celebrity chefs. And it sounds to me that there's some, you know, cutting edge culinary adventure you've mentioned. So for those traveling within or to the United States, it sounds like that's a place to go to see 
see what's happening um, on a very contemporary front or trendy front, um, for lack of better words, and some traditional dining as well. You know, I've seen the massive all-you-can-eat buffets when I walk through Las Vegas, and I've heard about places like Wynn Steakhouse. You know, it's, that's been around for a while. So it seems that there's a huge juxtaposition of food experiences on offer there. Um, you know, where does one start? (laughs) I've never been. So where would you send me? So, you know, you've said kind of hole in the walls, um, Spago. I mean, it seems like I would need a year there to even scratch the surface, but you know, if someone's going for three or four days with family or friends or one buddy, can you just give a sense of a couple of different examples of, your favorite hole in the walls that you would go to or, or a part, or, you know, I know that's really unfair, but sure. <laughs> you know, examples yeah. of cuisines for, you know, yeah. or um, styles. For sure. I th- so on the buffet front, that's interesting. Um, and there's been a huge change there recently. I think, I think that buffets for a long, long time were loss leaders for uh, casinos. Many things back in the non-corporate days were loss leaders. So Casinos would take losses on shows. They would take losses on food. Now, not so much. They want every component business to be profitable uh, on its own. So buffets are closing and have closed. I think there's a there's a theory among the Vegas geek community that a lot of them closed under cover of COVID and very few are left. There's some really, really high-end ones and then a few left at some of the locals' places, but not... Yeah, just not the scene that it was uh, before on the buffet side. And a lot of people are sad about that because Las Vegas for many, many years was such a value destination, right? You could go dine at these buffets. Some were not great. Some were quite good, um, but all really good value. Anyway, that is a change. But from, you know, the where to go. So here's what I think is a really interesting and important part of the Las Vegas food scene that people don't think about enough. So the celebrity culture and the fact that these casino corporations have gajillions of dollars to play with means that they can create these huge, gorgeous restaurants on the strip. They're very, very expensive. They often have celebrity chefs tied to them. Um, They are able to bring in extremely talented people from here, there, and everywhere. And you have this whole crew of people that are getting amazing culinary training and experience on the strip. But then what's happening now and has been for the last, I'm not sure how long, but the last several years at least, is people who have worked in these fancy pants strip restaurants decide, you know what, I want to stay in Las Vegas, but I want to open my own place. And so they have opened... There are a whole bunch of places that chefs have opened under their own names, and these tend to be off-strip. So they're a little harder to find, but they are absolutely worth it. So I can give you some examples of those. <laughs> I, you know, well, so, we can always, I can always yeah. do some more in the show notes later. So maybe yeah. just, I know it's yeah. very unfair oh, yeah. to ask you that <laughs> yeah. because it's like someone asking <laughs> me for my favorite wine, which is yeah, yeah. very no, hard no, no. to answer. <laughs> <laughs> it, um, it, it is, but no, I'm, I'm happy to give you some thoughts. Okay. Um, uh so on the chefs who have moved away front, um, Nicole Brisson comes to mind. She was the executive chef in charge of Mate- uh, Mario Batali's empire in Las mm-hmm. Vegas. Uh, and t- until that cratered, she has her own restaurant now called Brezza in Resorts World. It is an Italian restaurant. She is a powerhouse of a chef. Um, that one actually is on the strip. It's in Resorts World. Uh, she, her restaurant is just top notch. The food is amazing. The service is amazing. And she's one of the very few women chefs whose name and face you will see on a 
you know, Las Vegas strip mm-hmm. marquee. So Brezza is a fantastic place. I love to go there. Uh, Jamie Tran, another woman chef who uh, worked in various properties on the strip. She has opened her own place called Black Sheep uh, Off Strip. Uh, Vietnamese influenced menu there. Uh, James Trees, he was my most recent interview. He worked at uh, Bradley Ogden, other places on the strip. He actually did an internship when he was in high school at the Mirage. And he has opened a couple of restaurants, um, Italian, I would say. They could be described fantastic places off strip. Uh, Brian Howard, he was on the strip. He was at Bouchon. He's opened Sparrow and Wolf, which is an amazing fine dining spot off strip. And he's got a new concept called Half Bird Chicken and Beer, which is as, as <laughs> I love the, the names of these yeah, places. Yeah, isn't that great? They're really good. So, yeah. As the name suggests, a little more, uh, yes. a little more casual. Anyway, yes, that yes. would be one of my top, you know, okay. Vegas culinary tips. Yep. Look at the off strip scene. Okay, it's, it's so that great. is a ma- that's a major takeaway. Look off strip. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm a bit shocked with myself because I realize I we have been speaking for more than ten minutes at least. And the word wine has not come up <laughs> during this conversation. Um, surprised because food and wine come together often for people. So could you just chat through a little bit about how you see the wine scene in Las Vegas? I mean, I expect there is no shortage of fancy cocktails, beer. I expect that there are some really deep, deep wine cellars at various restaurants and, and perhaps they're, um, you know, I don't know if they're natural wine bars now, but when you go to the restaurants that you like to frequent, um, you know, what are you, what are you seeing? What, what, what's the zeitgeist right now in terms of, I suppose, uh, from a service hospitality point of view, from the restaurateurs, what they want to offer, um, to what you're seeing consumers wanting and asking for? Yeah, it's it's such an interesting question. Any topic in Las Vegas can in some ways have the same answer. And one of the things that's wonderful about Las Vegas, but also horrible about Las Vegas, is if you want it and you can pay for it, they will serve it to you. Right. So, so you can find whatever so, you want there pretty much. Absolutely. Whatever you want, they will have it. I sometimes send screenshots of menus to my chef friends back in Vancouver. And Vancouver has a very much a, a vibe that I love and appreciate and, and advocate for, which is source locally, source organically, source from places that treat their workers well and treat the animals well and that kind of thing. Las Vegas, there are places absolutely that do that, but it's it also trends toward the, you know, we caught the last tuna of this species and right. here you go. We yeah, will so serve good it for to- collectors, <laughs> really a collector's haven, I would have thought. It can be. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, on the wine front, for sure, there are wines from absolutely everywhere and to suit every budget, including the, you know, completely through the roof. So I had read a stat somewhere. I don't know if it's true, but I read it. It was on the internet, must be, um, that... At one point, 10% of the master sommeliers on the planet were working in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. So again, Mm -hmm. because they have those big budgets, they're able to draw people there. Here's something cool. Carver Steak, which is a a restaurant, great steakhouse, also in Resorts World. Uh, My friend Daniel Ontiveros is the executive chef there. They have a team of master sommeliers, Stephen and Lindsay Geddes. They are a married couple and they're both master psalms and they both work at Carver Steak. And for some period of time, they were both working on the floor. So you'd have the, I think they were the only couple 
uh, husband and wife couple who are master psalms actually working together. So yes, deep, deep wine list, deep, deep expertise. And it's been, again, an evolution. So uh, there's a a number of great podcasts that focus on Las Vegas. One is called On the Corner of Main Street, and it's produced by the Plaza Hotel and Casino in downtown Las Vegas. One of their guests was uh, Larry Ruvo, and he is the owner of Southern Wine and Spirits, which is a big liquor and wine distributorship uh, in the U.S. And he was saying on this podcast that he and his team were the first to bring Robert the, the first shipment of Robert Mondavi wines out of California hmm. in the 70s, perhaps, mm-hmm. went to Las Vegas. They were the ones to order it. And he did that very intentionally to try to build American wine into the wine lists in Las Vegas. So it's been building for a long, long time. There's been people paying attention to wine for a long time. And then on the more modern front, I suppose, and I got this from another uh, podcast called CityCast Las Vegas, they interviewed a a freelance writer, uh, Meg Bernhardt, who focuses on wine a lot. And she was talking about um, natural wine. And of course, you can get natural wine in Las Vegas as well. And there's a great place in what's called the Arts District, which is between the Strip and Old Vegas, which is super worth exploring, incidentally, the Arts District in Las Mm. Vegas. Uh, And there's a natural wine bar there now. So yes, soup to nuts on the wine front, whatever you want, Las Vegas is going to have it. So interesting that um, anecdote about the Mondavi wines, because I'd been wondering whether or not you know, given that Napa Valley in California is on the doorstep of Nevada, you know, California is a powerhouse in wine production, you know, whether the lists or the, uh, the curation of the wine experiences would be American focused, I imagine because of the volume produced in California, but it sounds to me that given the diversity in the culinary approaches and offerings that there probably would be, and collectors, a Mecca for collectors, did you see, though, for everyday tasting um, wines from other countries, or oh, would you say it's quite American dominant? No, I wouldn't. I would say it's uh, international dominant. I would say it's so a great place which, to go and armchair wine explore, it sounds absolutely, like. Absolutely. Yes. The, the pricing can be a little eye-opening, um, yes. I will say, uh, but that can happen in, in any city. But no, and, and one of the reasons I think that that uh, Larry Ruvo and his partners brought Mondavi into Las Vegas when they did was that until they made that bet on American wine, Las Vegas was pretty, he said there was no American wine on the Las Vegas Strip. And so it, it has a it has a history very much of uh, an international menu. Um, speaking of armchair wine travel, you might not be surprised to learn that I do that from time to time. I like to go to a new city. I like to go and sit at a bar, a wine bar, have a glass of wine or two and, and take in the surroundings. So, you know, if, when I go, um, and if we don't happen to go at the same time, although that would be really fun, I'd love to do that sometime with you and B, um, where, you know, what are a couple of few wine bars or hotel lobbies or where, where should I go and, and sit down and look at the wine list and, and have a glass <laughs> and have a glass. So definitely I would say, although I, I am embarrassed to say I haven't been there yet because you're just spoiled for choice in Las mm-hmm. Vegas, but this natural wine bar in the arts district, which is called Garagiste, is uh, is supposed oh, to be great fantastic. Name. Yes, yeah, great yeah. name, fantastic place specifically for wine. 
any any lobby bar in some of the fancier casinos on the strip are going to be good places. Uh, some of my favorite aft cocktail bar, which is at the Wynn property, I think is mm-hmm. fantastic. It looks out uh, over the Lake of Dreams, they call it. There's an amazing, hard to describe art show, I guess I will say, that happens on the Lake of Dreams. Um, that is a fantastic place for a cocktail or a glass of wine. Um, I would say, I, you know, I'm just going to name a few places that, okay. that, that I like to go as well. And I know they will have amazing wine. So one is, uh, Bouchon where I did some, yes. did some stages and, uh, f- amazing food. They have this gorgeous as they do in their Yontville location, a zinc mm-hmm. bar, but the, mm. the Vegas location is, I don't know how many times the size of Yonville, but it's it's Vegas-sized. It's a huge, huge restaurant with this huge bar. And I love to sit there. If I'm doing a solo trip, mm-hmm. I will sit at the bar there and have brunch. Uh, they will bring you fantastic glasses of wine. They're also one of the few places in Las Vegas that cater to Canadians in that they know what a Caesar is and, oh, they, know, and oh. they know that that is different from a Bloody Mary, right? Wow. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. You don't so, come across that too often. No, they will make you a great, yeah, a great Caesar. Uh, Carver Steak, as I mentioned, with the, the husband-wife master yeah. psalm pair. There is a bar in the, um, it is now the Waldorf Astoria. So it's a pretty fancy place. It's in the city center complex, right center strip, basically. So the Waldorf Astoria Hotel, it's called Sky Bar, and it is on the 23rd floor. It is a spectacular place to have a drink. Um, I imagine the Vista is amazing. It's amazing. So if you think about, there are other places, uh, Mandalay Bay on the south end of the Strip has Mm -hmm. a bar called Skyfall, and then the Strat on the very north end of the Strip has the highest... um, like stratosphere uh, stratosphere exactly yeah, it, yeah it's exactly right they they've rebranded <laughs> themselves as the strat so right there right um, but um, the strat they they have a they have a bar that's super high up has this great view of the strip as well but sky bar at waldorf astoria it feels like you're suspended in the strip there's nothing but neon and light around you it's it's wonderful You mentioned the Lake of Dreams, I think. So this this takes my mind to the fact that you refer to Las Vegas as paradise. In fact, your last couple of episodes you refer to it as paradise. Why? What is it? Your what makes it your paradise? And maybe if you could just let me know a couple of things that you are going to have on your list for next time. What keeps pulling you back there? Sure. Well, first of all, Las Vegas, if you're on the Strip, you are literally in paradise because interestingly, interestingly, the Las Vegas Strip is not in Las Vegas. It's in Paradise, Nevada. Uh, and a tiny bit of it is in Winchester, Nevada. Anyway, Old Vegas, the Arts District are in actually in Las Vegas. But what keeps pulling me back, I would say in part, of course, it's the culinary scene. In part, it's uh, gambling. I like low-level table gambling. Uh, it's the shows that you can see, amazing shows, Cirque du Soleil, some smaller shows. I've seen Penn & Teller a couple of times. We just saw David Copperfield this trip. I've seen Elton John there. So it's just an, a place to see these amazing things. But I do think there's something a little bit more, uh, <laughs> if I can get deep about Las Vegas, a little bit more existential. I think there is still, for me, a sense of the frontier there, of the undiscovered, of open space that is nice, that I like. I also find there's an honesty about Las Vegas that is mm-hmm. only apparent if you spend some time there. I'm not saying this is a good thing, but it's at least an mm-hmm. honest thing. Las Vegas is not subtle. It 
it offers what it offers and it's not shy about it. Um, so they have all of these silly games, but at the same time, the silly games are not all that silly. Nevada is the only state in the union, as I understand it, where unpaid gambling debts to a casino can constitute a felony. It's not just a civil matter of debt mm. collection. Mm-hmm. So they have these rules and unabashedly, I think in, in Vegas, the deal is known if you're there and you've got the bankroll, welcome to town. And when your bankroll is done, uh, so are you. So mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. something about that, about the rules being known. And it, maybe it's just because the world is getting more complicated and, and, you know, doing a job like law, which as you know, is very complex and nuanced and it's full of argument and back and forth. So mm-hmm. I think it's nice to go to a place where there are simple questions and answers. Yeah. Um, there was a quote in a book. There's a, there's a book called Addiction by Design, which is a really interesting book. It's about slot machines and how scary they are and how people, many people do become addicted to them. And one of these slot players that was interviewed for the book said, people think that gambling is uncertain. But for her, she said, for me, it's not uncertain at all. I know that when I'm playing video poker and I push the button, I am either going to win or I'm going to lose. Mm -hmm. There is nothing more certain than that. Some people may have been thinking during the course of the discussion, T, what has this got to do with wine? Like you've talked a little bit about wine, but we've talked a lot about Las Vegas. We've talked about food there. We've talked about your experiences. We've just talked about um, the city and some of its founders and builders. And for me, this is about wine. You know, how I really got hooked on wine and maybe you in food, in addition to just liking food, and I don't mean that in any disrespect, I just like wine. (laughs) But it's really, I traveled, it was really all of my traveling and I love geography. And everywhere I went, I started to taste the, I would drink wine wherever I want, tried it, but really thinking about it from the macro point of view, like what's going on here? Who, who's making this wine? Where am I? Where has this place come from? Who lives here? What are the, what are the tones? What are the themes? Where are they going? You know, and this is, wine is not just wine. It can be, but wine can be a lot more. So, um, you know, I want to thank you for joining me today uh, so that I could learn so much and I can be an armchair tourist to Las Vegas. I cannot wait to go. I definitely want to be hitting you up for my list, but unfortunately I'm going to say, Graham, I've got, uh, <laughs> I've got two days. Give me the list, but don't worry. I won't do that to you. Um, but I want to thank you so much for joining today and to sharing your insights. Um, you know, and also for all of the learning and awareness raising you're doing with your Chef Timoni podcast. Um, I really enjoy listening to all of your conversations and I really hope that we can have another sidebar chat soon about things, food and wine on your platform or on mine. So thank you so much for coming, coming to chat today. Tonya, it has been my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I, I'm just going to echo full agreement with your thought, whether it is wine or food or Las Vegas or all three together. Uh, what really matters and I've explored this a lot on chef Timoni and sometimes in conversation with you, what matters is human connection. And I think that wine like food has an incredible power to facilitate that. So let's put some food and wine together in Las Vegas and see if you like that mix. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm pretty sure I'm going to like it. Thanks so much. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. Remember to follow me on Spotify, 
iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Stay tuned for our next flight together. And in the meantime, remember to keep tasting, learning, and living.